I'm Andrew Haynes, and this is the Fair Game Podcast, the place where we talk about all things golf. The 2022 golf season is underway. The diehards have been playing all winter, but most people are starting to get the clubs out of the garage, hit the range, and get ready for a summer of golf. Every year when shaking off the winter rust, a myriad of thoughts run through our heads. Do I need new clubs? How's my swing? My buddy changed his shafts, should I? How do I eliminate the right miss from my game? For this episode, we're sitting down with True Specs, Jason Owen, a master fitter, and Jeff Ritter, a director of instruction who's been named one of the best teachers in America by Golf Digest, to unpack those thoughts and learn more about what they do to get golfers ready for the season. Let's get started. Maybe we can do a quick little introduction. Some people listening may not know you guys, just to say a little bit about you know who you guys are. I always love to ask the question how you got into golf and then how that kind of like turned into you know your careers in, in the game. Shoot, you go first, Jeff. My name is Jeff Ritter, uh, and I operate uh, Pronghorn Academy out here at Pronghorn Resort you know, with, with Jason Owens. So Jason you know, runs the, the fitting side of our academy business. And I run the instructional side, even though Jason's a great instructor in his own right. He actually started off in coaching before he went full-time into fitting. But um, this is my fifth season up here. Uh, I used to run uh, a similar academy down in the Pebble Beach area for five years. And I was in uh, the Tempe, Arizona area, Scottsdale, Arizona area for about, about 15 years. Um, I used to work for Golf Digest schools. Um, I'm also the national director of uh, Nike Junior Golf Camps, in addition to what I do here at, at Pronghorn. So I oversee, uh, in some way, shape, or form, about 200 plus junior golf camp locations throughout North America. And I also run uh, four weeks of advanced player camps down, down in Pebble Beach. Um, golf has always been part of my life. My dad was a club pro. 37 years at the same little club about an hour and a half outside of Philly. So I'm originally uh, an East Coast guy, um, but I started playing when I was three years old. You know, my mom used to wake me up in the morning. I remember when I was in like elementary school and say, you playing golf today? And I'd be like, well, what else would I be doing today? <laughs> She's like, well, there's one car going. And it's <laughs> so I don't care how early it is. You're dragging your ass out of bed. I would go down to the golf course and, you know, help them open up the shop and pull out the carts and pick the range and, you know, that was like my whole life growing up. And uh, when I was about 16 years old, I knew that my dad was really into coaching. And he had all the, at that point in time, it was probably 16, I was 10th grade. It was like, you know, 1986 or 87-ish, you know, I'm 50 years old now. And, um, you know, he had all the, the current information, you know, whatever, whatever the, the latest VHS tape was or, you know, uh, Betamax tape or book or, you know, workshop that he went to, he would bring home all of his notes. And I just kind of like really dug into all that stuff at a really young age, you know, partially because I was curious about the golf swing, mostly because I was trying to, you know, play better game myself, but because I grew up in this, you know, consistent environment, you know, at the golf club and all the members knew not just my father, of course, but also us as a family, they would play golf with me and the members would be like, you know, Hey, Jeffrey, can can you help me fix my slice? Or you've got a pretty good bunker game. Can you help me get out of the sand? And my dad started to like notice me giving golf lessons, <laughs> you know, like what were you doing with Bob <laughs> Regan for two hours up on the range? I'm like, Oh, he's got a snap hook. You know, and my dad was like, Oh, you're really giving lessons. I was like, yeah. Are they paying you something? I'm like, well, no, he goes, well, they should pay you something. So I actually started to, you know, create a little, you know, little business mindset. And I had a handful of clients at the club and 
back then we didn't have all the cool technology we have right now. I actually used to take pictures of people with Polaroid camera and just like, okay, pop, you know, there's your setup, right? And look at how you could be bending more like this out of the other. So it's just a long way about saying that I got involved at a very young age and I've never done anything else, but, but coach and um, really fortunate to work with some, some great, you know, coaching organizations like, you know, the Nike junior golf camps and golf digest. Um, my first relevant job in coaching was for a, a guy named Dave Pels, who's a short game guru. I worked for him down at PJ West. And, and eventually you learn enough that you hopefully have the confidence to go out and, and maybe do things, you know, your way, run your own business. Um, so I've been very fortunate in doing that. And four years ago, I uh, came out here to Pronghorn. We have an amazing facility. There was an opportunity to come and do something special here, not only from the coaching side, but the fitting side. But I got the opportunity here and I knew that we needed to do something from the club fitting side of things. So I reached out to true spec because I had known about, you know, who they are and what they do and how they have such a premium level fitting experience. And uh, it was just a really good match for us. So they helped us, you know, renovate our teaching space and, and Jason and I've been working together uh, ever since. Awesome. That's great. What about you, Jason? I'm like the polar opposite of Jeff. I, uh, I grew up outside of Boise, Idaho and, and was a soccer and tennis player and, and we had one golf course in my little hometown. And so n nobody really played. Um, my sophomore year of college, I, I made really good buddies that played golf for Boise state. And, and so I hung out with them and they made fun. of I played tennis and soccer at Boise state. So they, they made fun of me and I made fun of golf. And, and so I, I actually went and played with them nine holes one day. I just played out of their bag and they had ping I twos and, you know, and they were good. Um, and I couldn't hit the ball 10 feet. You know, I was 20, 20 years old when I first hit a ball. And I was like, this game is, is dumb. Like, what's the deal? How can I not, how can I not hit it? You know? And, and so I just started playing all the time for 50 bucks. I could join the local golf course for the year as a college student. So we just, I bought a set of, I bought a Yonix three wood out of the bin and some old Cobra irons. And that's what I, and a brand new Cleveland wedge. That was the, the new club I had. So anyway, I, I started playing and then about a year I made it down to probably a legitimate four handicap, I would say, just watching them, how they did it. Um, my very first lesson was with a nationwide tour guy named Brooks Farnsworth. And he said, Hey, I'll give you a free 15 minute lesson. But he always, he flaked like seven times in a row. And then finally he'd watch me. <laughs> I would, I would call the golf shop and blow him up. Cause I just wanted help, you know? And, and, so then right after college, I moved down to Southern California with, with one of my buddies from Boise state. And, you know, I, we, we each got jobs at a different golf course so we could play each other's golf course and we just clean carts and wash balls. And so we could practice and play for free and, and we had no money. And so then I just tried to get in front of every teacher I possibly could, you know, every, I, I, I spent time at every OEM factory, like TaylorMade, Callaway. Everybody was down there except Ping. Um, I just like immersed myself in the industry, you know. And so then I kind of thought I'd work my way through, become a head pro, which I did at a little private club. And I just didn't. It, it, I, it was my first board meeting. I sat across from the management team from American Golf and my board of directors, and they just fought for a while. And I'm like, okay, I'd way rather be giving a lesson, you know, like. And I was good at it. And so I transitioned into more. In fact, a buddy of mine asked me to go in as a small partner on a tailor-made performance lab. And I did that, and which was a lot of fitting and, 
and it was tailor-made specific, but it was really cool. There was a matte system, 3D motion capture system. Um, filming got way better. Trackman got way better. Everything got better. So anyway, I got into teaching full-time and I spent my last, before I got to TrueSpec, I was probably full-time teacher like Jeff for about 13 years and worked my way up, got, got nominated in Golf Magazine for a short period of time by James Siegman. Um, and then, I, I mean, I love teaching and coaching and randomly, I got a call from PXG one day and they were like, hey, you know, we know your resume looks good. Would you ever work for a club company? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like a rep? And they're like, no, PXG, we just kind of, we want you to do private fittings. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So, and you could still teach. I'm like, okay. So then I did that and traveled around. They made me go to Montana, Idaho, Oregon. I was traveling all the time. So then I moved to Bend just on my own because it was easier to get to Boise. Um, I was living in Bend. I get a call from TrueSpec. And I had kind of heard through the grapevine that they signed this contract at Pronghorn. So I did. So I was like, they asked me, would you want to run that studio for us for fitting? And I'm, we'll pay you more money than PXG. You don't have to travel. And you, you already know who Jeff is. I'm like, yeah, perfect. Like, you know, I mean, I, I followed Jeff's career. He's an amazing teacher. And, and uh, so it was just a good, I mean, literally, I, I, I flew down to TrueSpec and spent four days, which was technically my training. But normal training is like two or three weeks. But I was mm -hmm. already an expert on TrackMan and I just had to learn our matrix and our products and, and kind of our philosophy. And it's such a, I mean, it's crazy what true spec has done being as small as we are, you know? And, um, and that's, that's how I came into golf, you know? And I, and it's funny because like Jeff even saw me today, I hit a couple of balls today, but um, I'm way better as a player now at 47 than I was when I was younger. You know, I got better as I got older, you know? And, Interesting. Yeah. So, but I think also the equipment side helps for sure, you know? Yeah. Which you definitely want to get into for a second, but I, you said something interesting where, I mean, you guys have, you know, a wealth of knowledge and years in the game. So you guys have probably seen a lot, especially when it's on the, the technology side. Um, at least for me, like, you know, I'm a, you know, mid handicap player and my awareness of the golf history is mediocre at best, but I feel like, you know, fitting and, and, and coaching and training has probably been a while, bring been a long, uh, been there has existed for a while. Right. But, you know, when you think of when, um, it's interesting when you think of like, you know, the rise of the modern golfer and, you know, more training and people, you know, thinking about shaft and weight and, and grams and all that fun stuff. I feel like maybe, I don't know, over the past 10 or 15 years, the average golfer, has raised their awareness of these things like is that true false like have you guys been seeing this the entire time but then just technology has has innovated like when did it reach that point of like critical mass where like the average bro is walking in talking about shaft like oh i need the 70 gram shaft or i gotta work on this you know what i mean no, i would say and i'll like i'll defer to jeff on some of the instruction side for sure but i would say you know, 10, 20 years ago, there was some technology out there. Cameras were pretty good, but not as good as the iPhone camera now, like our iPad. I mean, now they're crazy good, but there was a, and, and Jeff can either agree or not, but there was a push by some old, old, old school teachers, much older than Jeff and I, but like where they said, well, I don't need a track, man. Cause I, I can, I can tell you what happened with just looking at a ball and Jeff and I, we, we could pretty much call the numbers out, but when you validate with a track man or a GC quad or some really modern technology it helps especially if jeff says 
or, or somebody takes a lesson, right? And they're like, and Jeff says, this is what our goal is for you is we want to shallow the, the, the downswing plane and we want to change the path, right? You know, get rid of someone's left to right curve for a right-handed player, whatever. And when they, when Jeff puts them on track, man, and he says, Hey, do you see, like, you felt really funny there, but all of a sudden your path is positive four to the right. Like, that's really good. Now it validates and, and people can kind of make that connection with how, what they feel they're doing. Now they see it on the monitor, like, wow, that really produced that. And it's come a long ways, you know? And I think even the old school, like old, old pros, you know, like even Butch and some of these old guys, you know, they, they are starting to turn on some technology and pay attention to like, what is the data really saying, you know? And instead of just guessing, you know? And um, what do you think, Jeff? Well, it's, it's certainly changed a lot. And, um, you know, when I grew up coaching, you know, none of this technology existed, you know, so if you could reverse engineer ball flight relative to swing action empirically, Mm -hmm. right. Um, And then be able to create, you know, a a sound protocol for adjusting that ball flight. And that was like a huge badge of honor. Like, Hey, I understand what's going on on such a high level that I don't need high speed video even to be able to watch someone hit a collection of shots and, and, and change that. And when I first got into coaching, like I literally had a television set with wood panel on the sides strapped to a golf cart powered by a car battery just to get video. Right? It's amazing. <laughs> and then you would take like a straight edge, you know, like a flexible ruler with like a dry erase marker. And then you had like this nasty and like little towel that you would be like always erasing your TV. Like that's where it all started. And back then, if somebody even had video on the range, that was a, that was a big deal. But like to Jason's point, eventually, you know, we had more, more means to, to know more about what was actually happening on a much deeper, deeper level. And when you just look at like, you know, TrackMan or FlightScope, you know, the radar stuff, for someone like myself, you know, total transparency, when it first came out, it was intimidating and it was also really expensive. And, and I think that mm-hmm. j- just like right now, like if I hand my, my new iPhone to one of my junior golfers, they know way more about how to use it and what it's capable of than what I do, right? And I just think it's like that generational thing. And I think that a lot of the older coaches that learned under one basic way of teaching you know, they're looking at all this data on a screen. They're not comfortable with all of that data and what it means. So naturally, you don't feel as empowered by it. And also, it's really super expensive. So the natural thing to do is to dismiss it. Like, I don't need this. Um, right. But what started happening is, you know, more leaders in coaching started using it. Uh, more tour players started to rely on it. They started talking about it more on TV. You know, so when you're watching Golf Channel and you see like a little orange box on the range, you know, now what's this orange box about? And of course, now there's a story behind it. And, you know, to your point, you know, about just, you know, social media in general and us hopping on seeing your Instagram page. I mean, coaches all over the world now are sharing information on a daily basis. And sometimes they're sharing it um, to directly help other golfers. And sometimes they're sharing it probably to impress other coaches. Like, well, look, look at how clever I was today on the lesson team. But for whatever reason it is, that information is much more readily available. And, and you as an avid golfer who's geeking out on the game, it's natural for you to want to understand more about what's going on with these types of you know, devices. Um, you know, now I'm using um, a technology called Sportsbox AI, and it literally allows you to take 
you know, one video of your golf swing in slow motion from the face on view. And there's an algorithm that makes it a 3D avatar where I can rotate your swing from above, below, face on, behind, down the line. And, and that's happening now. Whereas before, you know, you'd probably have to, you know, put on some kind of a sensor suit, you know, and have a, a system sure. that's a lot more expensive. And, and now that's, you know, for example, for me, I mean, I'm using this thing 12 months of the year and it cost me a thousand dollars as opposed to being, 30, 40, $50,000. And I guarantee you this technology is going to be dripping down into more of a consumer market where you can buy the same app and have a consumer experience and videotape your swing and now see yourself in, you know, in, in 3D, just like you can drop down a, a flight scope Mevo or some other personal launch monitor and get, get new data. So I just think it's a natural progression, but there was absolutely some pushback um, from the old guard uh, but I think it was just, you know, cost uh, and also, you know, it looked kind of complex. And I remember the first day where I'm looking at all this data and I'm learning more about spin and where spin comes from. And you would assume that every coach knew that back in the day, but really nobody knew anything until the data let us know what the truth really was. Um, probably one of the biggest things was understanding the difference between club face and swing path and what's actually influencing what, you know, to what degree. You know, we didn't know that back in the day. Um, but, but now we do because the data is there and it's accurate. Right. It's really interesting. It made me actually think of another question when it comes to technology, because, you know, you mentioned those like mobile launch monitors and I've considered getting one from time to time. I walk into the golf shop, like, oh, should I buy that little thing and just keep it in my bag when I go to the range? Because in a lot of aspect, aspects of life, when you think of... Uh, for example, whoop, right? Like whoop bands. Everyone's wearing whoop bands. Whoops are huge in golf right now. Heart rate on the tee box. But there's the the consumer's awareness of technology and how it impacts their game is probably higher than it's ever been. At the same time, I would argue, and maybe this doesn't necessarily relate to golf, but maybe with the whoop band, is that like how much of that information is just here are some facts. We're just putting some facts in front of you. And uh how much of it is relevant? Question number one. And then question number two is, do you think, you know, just the average golfer seeing a bunch of numbers understands what that means? Because, you know, you can walk into a shop and buy a flight scope or whatever and go to the range and smack a bunch of balls around. But if you don't really know, you know, what you're looking at, like, you know, you might not do, a, you know, a, a, you might not be doing the right thing for your game. What do you guys think about that? Jason, I'll, I'll throw a quick, a quick answer out here that I'll let you hop into. I, I would say um, a lot of the data, um, the average golfer is not going to know how to, how to utilize, right? Because let's say you actually have a launch monitor and it's showing you, you know, angle of attack, path and face. Um, unless you understand the conditions that are leading to that outcome, then how are you going to be able to reverse engineer that and actually shift, shift the outcome in a, in a mindful way that is you know, in tune with sound technique. But what I will say is probably the number one thing that uh, a golfer can benefit from, and, and Jason might have a difference of opinion, is simply knowing how far you carry all of your clubs. Because golfers, they don't know how far they hit it because they really don't have a, a mechanism for determining that unless you have some actual data. And you can stand there on the range and go, that's the 150 flag and that's the 175 flag and that's the 200. But you know, from where you're standing relative to where the ball's landing, it's just a general idea. Um, and if a golfer knew that, hey, out of the you know, 500 seven irons I've hit this summer, this is my, my yardage. And out of the X number of eight irons and nine irons and hybrids, whatever, 
that would really be probably most valuable uh, for being able to, you know, hit more greens, hit the ball closer inside of 100 yards, things like that, which I think golfers really struggle with. I mean, I, I definitely I agree with Jeff for sure. I think that, uh, you know, the reason that we all have a job as a golf pro, coaches or fitters or what, whatever, is we're supposed to help the average or any any skill level of golfer navigate what's the priority list here? What's the, what's the very first thing I need to do to make the next thing better, which makes the next thing better. Like, like angle of attack, like Jeff mentioned, like let's say someone's sitting too steep down, you know, like, and they don't know how much, but they know their divots are like a steak from Ruth's Chris, you know, like, and mm-hmm. it's just deep. And they're like, well, I know I need to shallow that, but I, you know, the, the depth of the div, but how do I do that? You know, but, and what, how is that going to affect, the rest of my swing dynamics, you know? And so when you, when you find out the measurement, the reason we still, the reason really good teachers are still in a job is because the average or even obviously the poor player, the higher handicap and medium handicap, and even some really good players, they don't even know what they're looking at. It's just a bunch of data and they don't know what the first priority piece is. And that's why I think I see Jeff have a ton of success when he sees his students more frequently because he can start, it's like the foundation from the ground up, you know, you really start doing things the right way out of the gate and then you layer in the pieces of sophistication and then you help those players look at their own swing sometimes. And, and they can kind of tell, like they can even text Jeff from a tournament in Iowa and say, I feel like, you know, my, my driver, my balls are starting slightly right, which means my face is slightly open for a right-handed player. Like, what do you think about this Jeff? And he knows exactly what to respond with, you know, and, and that validation, I mean, I, I, I sometimes would have to wean my players off the camera because I would film a lot of swings and then eventually they want to see every swing, right? And so I would wean them off of it a little bit and then we would throw them in on a TrackMan or a GC quad and find some numbers. But I agree, carry distance, nobody knows how far they carry the ball. And also the next, the next thing is everyone thinks, well, most people think they hit the ball plenty high. And they don't like, I remember the first time I saw a tiger hit a ball in person, it was at Lacosta at the tournament of champions and he hit a ball off the first tee and it went three times higher than I've ever hit a driver in my life. And I, I didn't think it was ever going to come down. And, and that was my first time I was 21 years old and he was 20 cause we have the same birthday. And I was amazed at how high those guys hit that ball. And right now I ask people all the time that come see me, I'm like, okay, so your long irons, you know, whether it's a four or five, six, I mean, when you hit that to a green, does it stop? They're like, oh no. Like every, I'm like, okay. So peak height is really important. And, and people come to Jeff all the time and maybe their swing mechanics aren't that great, but a lot of people can't launch the ball high enough, you know? And so having some technology and looking at those pieces, like, yes, you were right. You, you could throw something in your golf bag, Andrew, and like, lay it down and get carry numbers, maybe some spin numbers. If it's, if it's kind of a watered down version of technology, you might not get a lot of club data, you know, but, but there's some stuff out there that is now giving you club data, you know, for 25, two, two grand, 2,500 bucks, you know, versus a GC quad at 18 or a TrackMan at 25, you know, like, um, but it does go a long ways. I mean, I don't necessarily need to see every player's data if I was teaching, but Obviously, when I'm fitting, I look at all of it and I explain all of it, you know, and 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 then I I tell them, you know, this is the piece that we you need 
to fix that Striver wouldn't need changed if you go take a lesson with Jeff. Jeff's just going to shallow you out. We might have to adjust the loft on it a little bit. We might open the fix mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. But that's where the, the marriage and blend of fitting and teaching go together because I can tell someone, hey, clearly your product isn't built for you and it's not helping you get better. I mean, Golf Digest, I think, came out with that article a couple of years back that said the highest handicapped players, like 30 plus shave an average of eight shots off of their score off their Mm -hmm. average score just by getting properly fit clubs. And obviously like Jeff and I we're we're both accomplished players. I could, he could pick up a lady's flex in his lesson today with, with Mrs. Beck, he could pick up her seven iron and hit a really good shot with it because his skill levels really, really good. Right. But a 21 handicap can't pick up that. Let's say that 21 handicap has stiff flex speed, right? Swing speed but he's playing a shaft that he didn't think was, he didn't think was senior flex, but it, it frequencies out at senior. He's not good enough to make that club work. I could pick up a ladies flex club, probably hit some really good shots, but the, that's why the worst players, they need to get product that fits them for their mechanics and speed and all these things that go into it. So that when they go back to Jeff, it's, it's now not Jeff's problem or fault because obviously he's exceptionally good, it's not the club's problem because it's built perfectly for that player's speed. It's the player's problem. If they hit a bad shot, you know what? Now I can't blame it on, you know, I thought my shafts were stiff flex, but they come in at ladies flex, you know, that, that happens right. all the time. So it eliminates one factor there and they get better much faster. Right. That's so interesting. You know, what's interesting about that, Jason, is that, um, you know, as a coach, so let's say I'm going to see six or seven or sometimes eight clients a day. Well, that means I'm going to hit six or seven or eight different sets of clubs that day, because as I'm giving you a golf lesson, I'll be like, okay, well, give me your club and mm. show you what we're doing and why I want you to hit one like this. I want you to hit one like that. Notice the trajectory, notice the curve, whatever. So as someone who has a, a reasonable level of skill, you would think that it would just be easy to hit everything. But, you know, when I hold a club, that's got a lie angle that is so far off from my set. Now all of a sudden I'm like, God, the heel of this club is digging like crazy. I got to grip down like three inches just to not gouge, gouge the green, you know, gouge the ground rather, um, you know, different trajectories, like Jason's saying, like, gosh, this thing felt, felt pretty solid because I hit some of the face, but th- this thing's going straight up into the clouds or it's, you know, a little bit, a little bit too low, things like that. So you start to really notice how far off another person's equipment is for you in your game. And this is a cycle I go through, you know, every, every single day. Then I grab my clubs. I'm like, Oh, that's where I want to be. But even within my own set, which is fit pretty well for me. Um, you know, I found that there were some huge opportunities to upgrade that I wasn't even aware of. And, you know, Jason actually fit me for a new set of clubs, like, like a month ago. And, you know, as a coach, you're, you're, you're busy and, you know, you're lucky to be having a new set of clubs coming your way. But because you don't have a whole lot of time, it's easy to get lazy with the process. And to be totally honest, you know, back in the day, I would contact the manufacturer and they would say, what are your specs? I would go, Mm -hmm. I'm about this, this, and this. And whatever you send me, it's going to be close and it's going to be fine. Right. Well, then you go through a true spec fitting. And to Jason's point, just on like launch angle, you know, he hands me a different shaft and all of a sudden I'm hitting, you know, five irons and four irons and they're launching up in the air at a trajectory that I'm not used to. And they're staying in the air longer than I'm used to. And my eyes are tracking them at a spot in the sky. 
that I'm not used to. And all of a sudden you point to the track meet, he goes, you just carry that thing 10 yards farther, right? Because of the launch. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, you got my attention now. What right. shot was that, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of people come in, they assume their equipment's close. They do a lot of things like they'll just like show you their driver. Is this driver good for me? Well, you can't tell just by looking at it or flexing the shaft or looking at what it says on the side. Like these are things that people think like mean something, but they, but they really don't. And um, the reason I just wanted to share this is the fact that I'm hitting different people's clubs all the time and they are so ill-suited for my, my technique. And I can feel that with every shot. And then when even myself, I go through a fitting, which is really tailored for me, then I'm able to take my existing set, which I think is pretty good as a pro and take it to a whole nother level. So fitting is just at such a, um, an important place in the game's history. And, and to Jason's point, you know, you know, 90% of golfers um, probably have an ill-fitted set of equipment that, that could definitely be upgraded to, to help their performance on a, on a high level. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, I mean, you said a couple of things that really got by my my ears ringing and, and buzzing because I'm like, yep, that's correct. Because me, when I started playing golf, I, you know, I had, I played with friends that had been playing for a while and, you know, we're walking down the fairway and they're talking about, oh, I changed my shafts out this year and I did this and I did that. And like my immediate reaction was always, you are not even at that level to be considering those things. Take your stock set, your, you know, plus one, two degrees upright and just go play and work on technique and get better. And when you get to a certain point, if you want to tinker with shafts, you can do that thing. Um, but it's interesting to, to hear that it, that's actually not true. It's actually the complete opposite of you really got to get dialed so you can get better. And then as you get better, then there's other things that you probably need to focus on. And, and it's going to be easier for Jason. You know, a lot of golfers show up and maybe their technique is so far off Sure, that it's it's a challenge for him to give the fitting he wants to give, just because you know we don't have a repeating pattern that's showing up, right? So sometimes he might have to encourage someone to you know, hey, adjust your stance a little bit, or maybe you should move that ball. He's trying to get them into a reasonable position where he can get some information that you know lends to a more quality or high level fitting, and and sometimes. You know, taking some lessons first, if your stuff is reasonable and you're not playing a whole lot of golf, it's not a bad idea to be able to create a ball flight pattern and a strike pattern that's going to be easier for the fitter to be able to, uh, to work with. So, Jason, do you have any you know, thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk driver for a second. Everybody wants to hit the ball really yes. hard. Right? Drivers, please. You know, I see so many people sign up for like a full bag fitting and I, I usually always start with irons and then I give them a five minute break after we've completed the iron fitting and I start their build sheet and then we go right to driver because they'll start, I'll get irons done in like 50 shots and then we don't want them to get too tired. So we go to driver. I see so many players with reasonable speed um, and, but their mechanics and they're hitting down on a driver and maybe their path, you know, maybe they're not able to even launch this thing up. I mean, obviously the cap for a driver is 12 degrees aloft. And then maybe depending on the OEM adapter, you can turn it up one or two more degrees or something, right? Like, but some, it's not like I could give someone an 18 degree driver, you know, like at the end of the day, I've stopped the driver fitting and said, listen, it's the most expensive club in the bag. It is. It, heads are 500 bucks or more. Shafts are a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks for a really good shaft grips 10 bucks. So you might be in 900 bucks for a driver. And if they 
if I just push that driver on that player because they need more loft or et cetera, et cetera, if they went and take a 30 minute lesson with Jeff and they go from hitting three or four degrees down on driver to now they're hitting up one or two and their path has shifted, but we had to select a 12 degree driver because their original launch was so low. I had to get it up. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to call me and go, Hey, this driver sucks. I'm hitting it way too high. Right. So I, I, I tell a lot of people go see Jeff first with driver only. Like we nailed the irons. You clearly need a set of irons, like four down, like the bulk of the bag. But when it comes to driver or even a, like what, what's the right fairway wood to put in there or hybrid, if they're not making ideal or what I would say optimal um, alignments at impact with the club and their body and things like that, that I know Jeff will get them into. I, I pause it and I'm like, Hey, we're going to just sit tight for a bit. I need you to go see Jeff and work out a little bit of the process of how can I hit up a little bit more? How can I get the path? Maybe not so across, maybe a little more to the inside out because that's going to affect the loft of the actual head, the static loft that I choose for that head. And what I don't want to do is put someone into a driver that I know if they took a a lesson from an elite instructor like Jeff, that it's not going to work for them after they do that, you know? So that's where, Jeff and I have this synchrosity or something that I know that, I mean, I think the lucky thing for me and TruSpec is I come to TruSpec from Jeff's side from teaching for, you know, 20 years and not just like a salesman. Like I I try to tell people Mm -hmm. every time up front in the fitting, I'm like, my job today is to answer every question you have, help you understand what's happening with your equipment and the ball flight and stuff like that. But I'm also not just going to sit here and tell you need to buy all 14 new clubs. Like if you have something that actually fits pretty well, it might be beat to hell. Like there's, I mean, like the guy's never used a head cover on his driver in his life, like, but it fits. I would tell them that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if they need something that I know they need a new driver because theirs isn't any good, mm-hmm. but, but their mechanics aren't that good. They got to go see Jeff first with like driver specifically, because that's, you know, a set of irons is like, you know, 1700 bucks, two grand, maybe a driver's a thousand bucks for one club, you know, like yep. it's, you got to nail that thing, you know? And so that's where I, I definitely refer, refer them to see Jeff. For sure. You want to be in the ballpark from a technique perspective so that whatever you're fitting nets out to be, if you need uh, a little tweak here or there on your fitting, you know, a couple months down the, down the road, you know, then you're not having to like, you know, bend your lie angle four degrees, you know, or completely switch your shaft out or like, gosh, the loft on this thing to Jason's point really doesn't match where I am now. Like I need a whole new head, you know, things like that. If you're spending that much money, you definitely want to feel like what you get is really close and you can kind of like systematically grow with your coaching and your equipment, as opposed to, I got all this stuff. I got fit first. I spent five grand. Right. Now that I've changed my swing, yeah, some of the stuff might not be where it needs to be. And now I got to go back to the beginning of the, the process, which is probably not going to be, you know, super exciting for a lot of folks that spend a lot of money on their, on their gear, you know? Yeah. Right. And you got to know your client too, right? Like I can look at some of my, my fittings and I'm like, there is in my mind, I would never tell them this, but in my mind, I'm like, there's no way that player is going to make any physical change. Like, so yeah. No matter how good of instruction they get, they're just not that kind of person. You know, you run right. into those kind of people that 
you know, they're not going to put very much time into it. They might say, okay, well, I'll go take a lesson. And three months later, they've never touched, they never even talked about a lesson, you know, like, so then at that point, you just got to know who you're talking with, you know, and because you want them to, to make the right decision, you know, and, and, and go from there. For sure. Have you guys, by the way, because I have never experienced like hearing you guys talk the dynamic between uh, a fitter and a coach before. Um, is this something that is just unique to you guys, or is this something that TruSpec has in other locations? Because it, it really is interesting because, and no shade to, you know, companies trying to sell clubs or coaches trying to give lessons because that's their business and that's their bread and butter. But yeah, you walk into the average golf shop in the country and they're, Hey, what are you looking for? Oh, these just came in. These are whatever. And, you know, as a, I've worked in marketing, so I understand that like, you know, they might be incentivized to push a certain thing. And, you know, these are, I'm just saying like the average place, right? Hey, like these are great. Or like, these are getting great reviews. You should hit these. They feel great. Like everybody likes them. And then you go to a coach and the coach is saying, you know, they're going to look at your swing and analyze, but I've never heard of this dynamic between equipment and actual technique and those things being in sync. Um, but yeah, so is that unique to TruSpec or just you guys? I would tell you, there is a huge, like, I've had a very successful career as a teacher in the PGA and the Northwest. I've won teacher of the year a few times in a row, like in the P in the PAC Northwest section and at the chapter level. And so I think Jeff respects what I brought, bring to the table as well. There is a, a lot of teachers that don't know who I am or don't know that I traveled on tour for eight, nine years, like coaching and learning and doing all stuff. And they think I'm just a fitter and they, and that these teachers think they're just the boss and they're like, no, that's wrong. Like I've, so they, they look at a shaft, like let's say a graphite 70 gram men's regular flex shaft or something. Well, uh, true spec actually frequencies every shaft and we know exactly how it plays. And just because like Jeff said earlier, just because it says stiff flex or regular flex or senior flex on the side, it doesn't mean that that's the actual true playing frequency. And I've had teachers get so upset and say, I can't believe you went and got fitted true spec. It's such a bad build. And I, I called the teacher myself and said, listen, he was in Palm Springs. I won't tell you who it was, a very prominent instructor. And I was like, listen, that frequency is 278. I can't remember the number of it. And I said, you actually have no idea how clubs are built, do you? And, and what free, you know what stiff flex means, but not all stiff flex is stiff flex. There's well, my player, she's struggling. I'm like, well, what's her problem? Like, and he says some things and I, I tell him that's a technique thing. The shaft is actually, what's her club head speed? Well, it's 71 miles an hour. I'm like, is that not perfect frequency for early men's reg? Like, you know, and he's like, well, yeah. So the fact that Jeff knows, I mean, Jeff's come to me a couple of times and he has some really, really good junior players. And he said, dude, if you happen to see him doing this, tell him, like, you know, make sure this do this a little bit better. And Jeff knows that I can kind of pick that out and see it, you know, because it will affect the numbers on the track man or, or GC quad. But like, it's funny because I know Jeff's such an amazing coach that when I get a player that I don't know, or they come to me for a fitting, whatever, I, I feel it's my due diligence to make sure that they know there's the best instruction right next to me. And that now they're getting you know, the perfect built set of clubs. And I don't think that happens between a teacher and a fitter very often. You know, I think that most of my experience, teachers want, they're the boss and we're just kind of like reading numbers on a track band, but 
a lot of days, a lot of fitters nowadays are like me coming to fitting from a teaching and coaching side. So we can pick things out, you know? And mm. I mean, what do you think, Jeff? Well, I mean, we work really well together you know, because of that, you know, mutual respect. And, and I think that Jason's an incredible fitter, but I also know that he's an incredible coach and he's just sort of, you know, gone a little bit deeper down the, the fitting side of things. And, you know, we work literally, you know, 15 feet uh, apart from one another. You know, he's got the left-hand side of our studio. I got the right-hand side. Nice. It's really easy to communicate back and forth. And to, to Jason's point, yeah, it's, it's nice where I can send him a student and I go, hey, you know, if you need to move their ball position or adjust their short or whatever, you know, I'm not getting in a twist that someone else is putting hands on my student, right? You know, it's basically we're working together you know, to help the player as much as possible through, you know, the coaching side and also the fitting side. Um, but because we know that we, we think in a lot of similar ways, we've been influenced by some of the same folks in the industry. It just works really, really well for us. But to your point about, you know, going into a golf course and then pushing a certain brand on you, I mean, that's really just um, really kind of do the fact that, you know, a golf course can't handle a lot of, a lot of inventory you know, to be able to carry every single brand out there. So, you know, the general manager or the golf professional director of golf, they might be like, you know, Hey, I like Titleist, PXG and Ping, you know, and we're going to run these three, you know, basic you know, brands and we're going to have these three fitting carts and we're going to learn how to use their particular system for fitting their equipment. And that's all the way it can handle. Um, and that makes sense because you can't, you know, have Titleist, TaylorMade, Ping, PXG, you know, Wilson, Strixon. I mean, like, where are you going to put all this stuff, you know? Right. And then, of course, you know, all of the components don't fit together the exact same way. And Jason can speak more of this. But what TrueSpec does is they've got basically, you know, every major brand on the market here in our, in our studio. Um, and some brands you've never probably heard of before. And TrueSpec is, is brand agnostic. You know, they're not trying to sell any one brand. They're not trying to, you know, make any kind of sales quotas, which really makes it a lot easier for Jason to just come in and say, hey, I'm here to help you. Here are all the brands. It's almost like you, you pull up in this drawer here in our studio and it's like Tiffany's for golfers. Like, oh, look at all this shiny stuff in here, right? And you get to pick up different heads and whatnot and you can try them all. Or if you decided that you're a pin guy or a, you know, a Titleist guy or gal, you can just go ahead and say, this is the, the club that I've been, been eyeing. And, you know, then through all the data that he takes, he's going to be able to find the right shaft flex. We got like a wall of shafts. We have drawers of club heads. You know, we have drawers of grips with different, you know, levels of circumference and weight and the same thing for, for putters. So we're just really lucky that TrueSpec has a, a business model um, that allows us to have all of this equipment. And then the thing that makes it challenging for someone like me to be a coach and a fitter is you got to know about what all that equipment is, is set up to do. You have to know that this shaft that just came out, this is what it's designed for. This is the new technology. So you know, Jason and the folks at TrueSpec they spend so much time with research and study of what is new, what is now in their inventory, how to apply it to each basic component. And it's just, it's just too much to do. It's too much to do the coaching at the level that you want to be great and also do the fitting at the level you want to be great and be able to fit all that together within a, within a day's time based on the kind of people that are walking through the door. So it works out better if, you know, Jason, you know, works his craft and is the master that he is. And then, and I handle the coaching side and we you know, collaborate in the middle when we, when we need to. But um, I do think we're in a unique situation. Um, but there are also other, other folks out there that, 
that have a similar relationship with similar resources, I would say. Awesome. That's really cool. All right. So I have a couple questions from, uh, I guess, fans. I put this out on Instagram. I said, hey, we're doing a podcast with TrueSpec. Throughout your questions, I will ask them. Uh, so I have three that I will ask. Or I have a couple more, but I'll pick my three favorite ones. So the first one is, are putter fittings worth it for all players? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the amount of strokes or percentage of your score that you use a putter with, it's a lot. You know, it's what, 40% or something, your score. Um, you know, there's so much that can go into a putter fitting and, and certain categories you can fit to, like like aim, okay? I mean, if you really know the numbers on, the, on any major tour of how many players aim outside left or actually inside a cup or outside right from a certain length, like, let's call it eight feet, um, you could, you could fit all kinds of things. And Dave Adele, his whole fitting is based on aim. I went through it. Um, and, but you know, if one in five tour players can actually aim a putter inside the cup from eight feet and they're the game's best players on the world, then, you know, fitting to aim isn't my number one priority. It's important for sure, but it's not the number one priority. Number two is stroke mechanics. Uh, you know, like, and, and then quality of role, you know, like, because a lot of people are playing a putter or they're doing something to a putter that is causing the ball to either hop or skid too much or something. And usually those two things, skidding and hopping are off your intended line, you know, so you miss putts, you might get lucky and make it, but in a, in a nutshell, putter fittings are important. It is overlooked. Um, head shape and style and hosel config. There's so many things that go into, I mean, let's be honest. And Jeff can, can have his opinion here too. Um, the face of a putter, like the angle, like rotation of the face, open, close where the face is the most important thing about a putter. And then it goes into dynamics of uh, dynamic loft and angle of attack. You know, the path of a putter head doesn't really influence the ball as much as the the face influences the ball 93% on its start line. So that is clearly the boss. And what's connected to the face is the hosel configuration. So when Jeff looks at a player, maybe they have too much rate of closure. Maybe they're playing a face balance putter. It's too open in the backstroke. You know, let's get a little bit of weight in the toe, kind of slow it down. All these things can go into it. But in a, in a very short end, like that's not a very short answer, but like <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's super important. Now, it's not my favorite thing to do because – it's hard to tell someone, Hey, you should look at a gray or red looking spider. That's going to be better for you versus a all silver blade. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's tough because people look at, you know, we have 30 or 40 putters in our studios and they're all different. And I'm like, Oh my, it just, they take forever. And you know, it's, it's tough, but it, it is really important. I think, you know, it is important. And you know, like to your point, Jason, it's like, you've got more head and shaft, configurations available than any other, you know, club, club in your bag. I mean, you know, woods look like woods and hybrids look like hybrids and irons look like irons Then putters. Well, they look like a lot of different things based on, you know, what's, what's available. And, um, you know, to go back to the fitting that I recently had with, with you, I remember we got to the end of our fitting. I'm like, Oh yeah. And I need a putter too. Cause I was doing this fat. I need a putter. And, um, we tried a couple of different, different heads and, I mean, just the way 
the putter sits on the ground, you know, if, if the shape is, is pleasing, if you feel like the weight is allowing you to create a little bit more of an effortless stroke, um, the feel of the ball off the face, the acoustics of the ball off the face, all that stuff is important. And, you know, all the putters that we have are amazing putters. They're the top brands on the market. But, you know, he handed me one, he handed me another one. And, you know, I was rolling all these different putts and I grabbed the third one. I hit one putt and I go, that's the one. That's it. He's like, do you want to roll a few more? I'm like, no, that's it. That's the one. So it's like someone that has a lot of experience, all that stuff kind of comes together in a certain way where um, it does matter at a, at a high level. And, you know, if we feel confident over the golf ball, whether it's a putt, a chip, a pitch, an iron or a drive, um, and we feel some of that confidence through just how that equipment feels in our hands and how the profile of the club looks to our eyes and, you know, the feel of the contact and the acoustics behind it. Like when all this stuff comes together, it can make a huge difference. And I think that until someone's been through a club fitting uh, and experienced different grips and shafts and weights and all the stuff that Jason does so well, you don't really understand how much of an impact it can make until you're really comparing, you know, the apples to the apples to the apples to the apples. Um, and of course, you know, the better you are as a player, the easier it is to feel those subtle changes. But I think people are playing with equipment that's so far off that when they hit something, for example, I mean, Jason has golfers that come in with golf clubs that are sometimes 20 years old or more. And you're like, how is this person even using this stuff? I mean, yeah. anything they hit that's more modern in design with a reasonable shaft, they're going to feel like, oh my God, what a miracle, right? But then once they get truly fit, you know, then you just take it to a, to another level. So I think putter fitting is really, really important. Um, and I've gone through that process myself here recently. Awesome. I have to say, just for the fan that asked this question, I also believe in putter fitting. I did a true spec putter fitting a few years ago at the one in New York. And um, I walked in with my Newport because I was like, oh, I have a Newport in my bag. I put pretty decent with it. And uh, it was interesting to see the angle of attack and, you know, hey, you're at, you know, plus two or you're coming in a little steep and trying to get me to zero. And I bought, and it's the putter that I still put with to this day, an even roll mallet. So first of all, I had never heard of even roll. I never would have walked into a store and bought it. Um, I was actually, I think I had gone into true spec just prior to that, just like, window shopping and looking at stuff. And there was a, this Mira blade that was probably like the most beautiful putter I had ever seen. And if, if I was just going to buy something, I probably would have bought that Mira, which was not right for me after I saw the numbers. So it's really interesting to see like what you think you need versus what you think is pretty versus what you, what your favorite player plays with versus what you need for your game. Yeah. So I love my even roll. It's pretty cool. I mean, putters aren't like the putter fitting is not, it's not sexy, you know, like getting going through a driver. <laughs> like my guy that picked up 22 yards on driver this morning. Yeah. And he's one of Jeff's students. Yeah. He actually had like 119, 120 club head speed, massive speed, playing wrong shaft, but we picked up so much. I mean, he was spinning the ball like 3,800 on his driver. And it was, a, I'm not going to tell you what kind of driver it was, but it was a really good head back four or five years ago and he dropped spin by 1300 RPMs and picked up literally 22 yards. I mean, that's, that's sexy to a golfer, right? Like, Holy smokes. Now I'm hitting two clubs less, but you go pick up a bunch of putters. You're like, you can't really tell you're like, cause you can't guarantee someone you're Oh, now you're going to make everything. 
but it's just, you know, going through the actual, like when you realize long-term wise, how much better of a role you're putting on the ball and three putting less and your make percentages up. I mean, that's, they, they don't quite connect that to the sexy part of, you know, of golf, you know, for sure. Two more questions. Uh, next one, coaching. So seeing one person, one coach versus seeing multiple coaches, uh, good, good or bad. Um, I would say in general, that's not the best idea because you're going to get a lot of, uh, competing opinions on the best way to solve, solve the problem. Now, every, every qualified coach, they should be diagnosing the same thing. Like if one go, if one coach thinks you're hitting down too much and another coach thinks you're hitting up too much, there's a big problem there. Right. So like they should all be seeing the same thing and understanding what needs to be different, but the, how you go about creating that difference, that's going to be unique to each coach. And, you know, not all coaching systems, you know, employ the same ideas or the same, the same fundamentals. Um, so I think that it'll create more confusion than not. Now, if you are, um, creating a like winner circle of coaches that operate in different categories, I think that can be really effective. So let's say, um, you know, I go see this coach for my full swing stuff. And, and this coach is really sort of known as a short game guru. They spend all their time inside of a hundred yards. And this coach, you know, all they teach is, is putting, you know, back in the day when I got into coaching, you were just expected to do all of it. Um, and then coaching specialization sort of started taking shape where, holy cow, you can make a living just teaching shots inside of a hundred yards or you can make a living just teaching, teaching putting. And I think that, you know, the, the movement patterns are different enough between, you know, the power shots and the finesse shots and then your putting game that you could very easily have a collection of coaches that, you know, upgrade all of these areas in a way where you feel confident and empowered. But if you're going back and forth between swing coach A and swing coach B, because, you know, one guy or gal is closer to where you work and then the other person's closer to where you live. Right. And at some, at some point in time, if they're not communicating together, um, you're going to probably end up more confused than, um, than feeling, you know, a certain sense of sense of clarity. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. All right. Last question. This has been a great conversation. Uh, this one needs a little bit of a lead in, but the, the question is uh, fundamentally, how do I, you know, look at what pros are doing and, see if there are any things that I can take away from my game. And I think what this person is trying to ask is, you know, we see a lot of what's in the bags that are out there. Hey, this guy's playing these blades and this driver at this lie angle. And all of this information is interesting, or this person is moving like this. Scotty Shuffler does his feet like this. Um, and I think as, as golfers, there's so much aspiration in trying to emulate what these people that we admire are doing. But at the same time, there's no real way, and the average person doesn't really understand this, I think, to how do I look at that information and decide, is there something that I should take away from that? Should I ignore it? Should I just say, oh, that's cool and move on? Like, how does the average golfer look at all that stuff that's happening in the world of golf and not get distracted by it all? That's, that's a big question. <laughs> we could do an entire podcast on this, but, but what I would say is that um, from, from the 30,000 foot viewpoint, Sure. I think it's important to be a good observer of, of what high level players are, are doing at, at its most basic level. And just as an example, like uh, a lot of times I have a student that comes in and um, 
I'll ask them like, Hey, did, did you watch, did you watch golf on TV this weekend? Like, Oh, I watch golf every Sunday. I go, okay, well, what tournament was this weekend? Oh, it was the, you know, the travelers or whatever. I go, what'd you learn? And they go, huh? <laughs> I go, well, you've got the best players in the world, right? You know, hitting shots from T to green and you know, doing all kinds of you know, things that would be valuable for you. Um, what, did, what did you learn watching them today? And the thing is, you know, most people are watching golf for entertainment. You know, they watch Tiger walk up and he hits a shot and they watch Bubba do his thing and they watch Scotty you know, or, you know, one of the Cordes sisters, whatever. Um, but if you just look at, you know, how a player approaches hitting a basic shot in terms of like their preparation, their routine, how they walk into a shot, how they're going about aiming or aligning themselves. Um, you can learn a lot from that. If you watch how a player is, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how to find the perfect, you know, angle of attack and club face, you know, for a, a funky lie that's tucked by the edge of a bunker near green, like there's a thought process going on there that you can learn a lot from. And the analogy that I used was the first time I went surfing and I was in, I was in California and I'm like, I'm going to rent a surfboard today. So I rented a surfboard for 20 bucks for like an hour. But there's a lot of other people renting boards as well. And while the other folks were just like grabbing their boards and like hugging them and dragging them towards the water and, and looking like they had no clue what they were doing, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a big brown van pull up with a bunch of surfboards on top. And I saw a couple of, a couple of bros, boom, pop the doors open with no shirts on. They looked around at the break and they started stretching, you know, and I'm like, these dudes look like they know what they're doing. So instead of me just dragging my stuff down to the shore, not having a clue as to what I should be doing, I'm just going to sit here and watch people who know what they're doing, get out of their van, grab their boards, put on their wetsuits in a certain way, get their boards down to the shore, get them in the water. Like it's all there. It's all there, right? At least on some level where it would be helpful to me as someone who knows nothing. And mm -hmm. um, very often, if a golfer would just watch, you know, like how does Tiger Woods tee off on the first hole of the Masters? He walks in, you know, he puts the peg in the ground a certain way, has a certain routine. I mean, he doesn't stand over the ball for 45 seconds, take the club out of his hands, put it across his hips and see if his aim's straight. Like, Nobody does that on TV. Well, why do people do that on the first tier of their home club? You know what I mean? Yeah. From the 30,000 foot view, it's like, okay, what can I learn as an observer that might be valuable? And if it's just one thing that you learn either watching or listening, then, then that's, that's important. From there, I like to tell people, you know, you got to be brilliant with the basics, right? The golf swing is like a set of dominoes, right? Your, your setup influences your takeaway. Your takeaway influences the top of your swing. The top of your swing influences your transition. Your transition influences your impact. Your impact obviously creates the outcome, right? Well, if I had, you know, 20 golfers lined up on the driving range and I was on a game show where if I were to guess everyone's ball flight, I walk away with a million dollars just based on their setup. I'm walking away with a million dollars, right? Because, you know, there's only two kinds of golfers, people that slice too much and people that hook too much. And if you're slicing, it just means you have an overload of slice bias positions and movements that can only lead to that outcome. And if you're someone who hooks the golf ball, well, you have an overload of hook bias positions and movements. And I can see that. And Jason can see that as coaches right away, like what's going to happen to this ball for 20 bucks. It's going this way. <laughs>
Yeah. There's so many things that you can do watching your favorite players because players on TV, although they don't all set up the same way, they set up more similar than not, right? Um, they're not all going to be of the same posture, the same distance from the ball. That's based on preference, but they're going to be balanced, right? They're going to have a certain tolerance of forward bend. They're going to have a certain tolerance of arm hang, a certain tolerance of ball position or foot placement. And these are all things that everybody who has a mirror or a video camera can improve right away. And you don't have to know anything about all the, you know, advanced data that's, that's out there. But if we understand how to get set up, if we understand how to be balanced, and then if we can look at an area of our swing that needs some help relative to our impact, and usually doing that with a coach is, is more helpful than doing it on your own, then you're going to be taking the least line of resistance towards making a swing change that's valuable for you. And I tell people all the time, look, you know, every piece of information I share is going to be helpful for someone, but I don't know if you're that someone. Right. And you don't know if you're that someone until we get until we get together. You know, so when you're watching golf tips on Instagram or YouTube, it's all great information. And even the craziest stuff will be valuable for someone. The challenging thing is to, you know, work through all of that and unpack it in a way where you go, hey, this tip is valuable for me because I understand, right, my ball flight pattern relative to my swimming pattern. And I understand this information is, you know, sort of handpicked for me. So I would say that. Watch the game from the 30,000 foot perspective, be a good observer, try and learn a couple things along the way that's going to get you closer to you know, the way a high level player would operate. Be brilliant with the basics and then spend at least one hour with the golf coach, diagnose what needs to be done. And then from there, you know, get a set of tools through that coach's help, whether it be a series of drills or a couple of videos or exercises that you know that the X number of hours that I'm going to spend over the next you know, weeks, months or whatever, they're moving all in the right direction as opposed to being someone who goes, oh, well, that didn't work. What else can I do? Oh, that didn't work. What else can I do? Oh, this is a cool tip. Let me give that a go. Um, that's the guessing game. And the guessing game is never going to be as valuable or deliver the results you're looking for as much as you know, working with a professional that can help you take that you know, least line of resistance versus the, the DIY thing, which can get you going down the rabbit hole in the wrong direction. This is great. I feel like I just took a lesson. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fair Game Podcast. If you haven't already, you can hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever service you may be using. You can also follow us on Instagram at Fair Game Golf and check out some original videos on our YouTube page. You can find all these links in the episode details below. Hope you guys are getting back on the course out there. We'll see you next time.